I'm, I'm off the subs bench this morning. Jimmy is not well. He's got Elmer's flu. Is that right? So we feel sorry for Jimmy. So, so I got a call yesterday asking if I could cover. Um, and I'm telling you that so you can sympathize for me and make me think, oh, wow, that's really good. Didn't you do well? Um, because I have a bit of doubt that, um, you know, if I've not had as much time to prepare, maybe God won't speak to me and maybe I've got nothing to say and, you know, and um, so, yeah, doubt. In fact, I decided I would speak about doubt because I've been thinking about it because we've been talking about faith and when everybody, anybody talks about faith, I don't know about you, but I suddenly think about all the doubts I've got and um, it was interesting to hear there's a shortage of biscuits, Stephen. There's not a shortage of doubt in the world today, is there? Can, uh, it, let me just ask you, let's be honest here, is there any doubt in the room this morning? Is it possible that there's some doubt about something, about God, about yourselves, about other people, about the hats that the young people were wearing, any doubts about that, possibly? No. Yes. Oh, is there any doubt? You're not allowed to say it in church, are you? You've got to be men of faith and women of faith. And is Come on. Has anybody ever felt a little bit of doubt now and then? Yeah. Phew. Thanks. Okay, I'll keep going then. Otherwise, I could have just saved you half an hour. But um, So, my title this morning is The Doubt Clinic. I guess... You've heard there's clinics all over the place, and you go not to get the thing, but to get healed of the thing. And um, so the doubt clinic, we're going to go into the doubt clinic this morning, and we're going to get set free from a bit of doubt today. How would that be? I want to continue the ministry of the Women's Weekend and the, the Word and the worship, and I'm believing that if you're open to it this morning, we could come up out of this morning with a little less doubt than we have now, and also find ways that we can deal with doubt. And I think even being honest about doubt is quite healthy, actually, in church settings sometimes. I hope so. I've been honest um, with myself a little bit in recent weeks, thinking, actually, when I've added up my doubts compared to what I'm in faith for, there's a bit of a difference. I asked... Uh, Alana, who came home from Stirling University, uh, if she doubted anything, if she has doubts about anything, she's telling me she's um, booked into Ibiza, Alana, if you don't mind me saying, to uh, join 24-7 prayer in the summer, to minister like street pastors overnight there, and it's brilliant, fantastic, good on you, I'm proud of you. My girl is of faith, uh, and the first thing she said was, but the first thing she said was, but I doubt if I've really got what it takes to do it. I was speaking to my son, as you know, many, many of you know, in, in Australia, in Hillsongs. Travel to the other side of the world to follow his passion for Jesus. When I asked him on FaceTime last night, do you doubt anything, Isaac? I occasionally doubt uh, that there's a God. <laughs> all right, okay. <laughs> so you've gone all the way to the other side of the world to learn how to worship, and you occasionally have doubt that there's God. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling less doubtful that this may be a subject of help. Um, quick straw poll. Doubt, um, when you look at it from a, a Google point of view, explains doubt as 
something that is a feeling of uncertainty or lack of conviction. It's synonyms, uncertainty, indecision, hesitation, dubiousness, suspicion, confusion, indecision, hesitation, diffidence, uncertainty, insecurity. Anybody now feeling that, oh, that, right, yeah, I can identify with some of those things from time to time. I have good days and bad days, but, you know, yeah, yeah. The opposite of doubt is confidence, conviction, assurance, certainty, belief, calmness, clarity, confidence, definiteness, ease, and, of course, faith. These are things that we aspire to, that we want to have. But the reality is, and the truth is, for many people, whether followers of Jesus, whether Christians, or just in our own lives, doubt is an overwhelming battle from day to day. If we've any doubt about the seriousness of doubt, I, I um, learned that suicide is the highest killer in under, men under 40s in a certain age group, suicide. I, I, a friend at work came in, devastated one morning. She'd heard just a 30-year-old guy in Dunfermline committed suicide, young child, just completely out of the blue. His partner finds him hanged in the garage. And I don't understand suicide, of course. Who can? Who does? But I'm sure doubt must have something to do with it. Doubt that you have any value. Doubt that you have any worth. Doubt that you're better being alive than dead. Doubt that anybody cares if you're here or there. I don't know. I don't know. But doubt is a killer in the world. Doubt is the cancer of spiritual health. Doubt is the thing that the Satan put into Eve to, to start the fall when he said, did God really say that? Just putting doubt in your mind is what Satan does every single day, every single opportunity, every single moment. And whether you're uh, walking a, a life of faith or just a, li a life of trying to, to make it come together, doubt will undermine you at every single turn. Doubt kills dreams more than failures. Doubt is insidious, it's horrible, it's destructive, and I believe that this, even just this morning we can start to overcome it and see that there is an alternative, see that there is a doubt clinic that we can check into to help deal with it. So, are you up for checking into the doubt clinic this morning? I hope so. So, we're in church, so I'm going to talk from the Bible. Um, may seem obvious, but it's worth explaining if you're a guest here. We do believe the Bible is God's revelation to us. It's truth, and it helps us and gives us examples and encourages us. It's transforming and um, life-changing, and truth is in Scripture. And so, and it, the Bible's dead exciting. There's lots of people in it. And uh, here's some instances of the next slide. First slide, Robert. Thank you of people in the Bible who had a bit of doubt. Um, I've just given you brief extracts. You can check them out later. But um, in, in Matthew 28, the disciples of Jesus. So just to help, if you've held your hand up to having doubt, the disciples who had been with Jesus, the physical Jesus, like the real person in front of your eyes, Jesus, 
who'd seen him live, seen him minister, seen him um, heal, seen him raise the dead, who saw him crucified on the cross, who had seen him stand before them and pointed at the holes in his hands and ate something in front of them. just before he ascended into heaven before their very eyes. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would think I would be fairly faithful at that moment. If I'd seen all that, I would probably be thinking, oh, we're on a winner here. But even then, it says that when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So, let's just take the stigma out of doubt, shall we? If the disciples themselves, at that moment, of all moments, had some doubt, we can maybe just relax a little bit and think, yeah, okay, I'm in good company. And later, before that, Luke 24, why do you doubt? Same sort of moment. Thomas, of course, put your finger in my hands, Thomas doubted. Peter, earlier, he's, um, well, sorry, the next story, I'll come to that one later. Uh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? So, although we recognize that doubt is a reality for many Christians, for many people, it's not something that we should accept and embrace. James 1.6 says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Jesus said, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go yourself into the sea, and it will be done. Overcoming doubt is really important for us. Overcoming doubt sets us into a new realm of freedom, of power, of confidence in our Christian walks and in our lives generally. And, and we see many people who just seem to be able to get through it, who, you know, see the, the land before the fog clears, see the rainbow before the, before the clouds open, and, uh, and it can be intimidating. And this morning, that's really what I want to just do, is open the window, open the shutters, open the curtains, and allow us to say to each other, oh, look, I'm not alone here. If I doubt about if I'm a Christian, if I doubt if I'm a person God would ever want to know, if I doubt about if he does really have a plan for my life, if I doubt if he's even real, if I doubt that I'm able to come to church, if I doubt I'll ever see somebody else in my family saved, if I doubt if I'll ever see a prayer answered again. If you have these doubts, let's just you know, be open to this reality and this truth that most of us, in fact, I suspect all of us at one time or another are feeling that very same thing. I had a few doubts before the house came along, you in one or two, yeah, yep. Doubt storms, snowstorms, hurricanes, flurries of anxiety and fear that come upon us. They don't know where they come from, but they come regularly, don't they? Okay, where are we going? There's some scriptures about doubt. The, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, you think, never 
did they, you know, doubt, did it materialize? And if you read the Psalms, the Psalms cover every single emotional, spiritual, and physical response and emotion, I think. Doubt is very much a part of what they experienced as the people of Israel. Psalm 33, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Have you ever said that? God, do you even know I exist? Why is there this suffering? Why is this happening in my life? Why did this person die? Why did this person do this to me? Why did this person not text me back? And it is that craziness, isn't it? It's those extremes, things that are really big. Sometimes you can have faith about, but little things, just irritating things, just, they don't really just, ugh. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day, I have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or oh, I'll sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice. When I fail, anybody ever feel like a failure? Anybody ever feel that people are better than you? Anybody ever feel that nothing good is going to ever come? Nothing ever works. Nothing's just enough. Of course. And you're not alone. The psalmist wrote about it. People have responded to it and identified. It's in here so that we can under, uh, understand that God knows about this and understands that we deal with these things and suffer these things. It's here for a purpose and here for a reason. And the end of this psalm, like many psalms, when it's been so honest and so open, starts to give us a bit of light. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And we're coming round to what we've been talking about so much. Worship, praise, the presence of God that when we come and experience those things and why we're talking so much about worship and the power of worship, of prayer, of reading the Bible, of spirituality, that that can start to give us a way to overcome our doubts and fears. I've caught up the slide, Robert. Sorry, mate. Next one. There was Sam 33. And the next slide as well. So we need to head to the doubt clinic. What's the doubt clinic? The doubt clinic, that's why I got confused earlier. I got these scriptures as well. Where do you go when you have doubt? Chip shop sometimes. <laughs> oh, can't be a fish supper to just encourage you. Do we go to friends? Do we go to just vent? Yeah, all these things, we respond in different ways. And of course, there's really only one place that we can find the solution to doubt, and that's in Jesus. John 20, 27, he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, root out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. So I'm giving, I hope, reassurance that doubt is common to man and woman. 
but God wants us not to be in a place of doubting so much. And he's committed to helping us out of that position like Jesus with John. Peter, on, <laughs> love these stories in the Bible, don't you? You ever have doubts about them? Peter walking on water. Really? I shouldn't say that, should I? I'm a preacher. Peter walking on water. Whatever you think, whatever you believe, the truth of this response is key. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And this morning, somebody needs that hand right now. Doubt can be so overwhelming. It can lead you to despair. It can lead you to depression. It can lead you to suicide. And even this morning, I believe, suicide might have been on somebody's mind. But I tell you, Jesus will reach out. Jesus is reaching out right now. His hand will catch you just as it caught Peter. And he might goad you, tickle you. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When he met the disciples after his resurrection in Luke 24, they were still talking. And he comes to them and says, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. God wants to bring us this reassurance to recognize our doubts. And he will. So we need to come to Jesus. We need to come to God. And of course, the very thing that we have, doubt, means that we don't come to God. It's a vicious circle, isn't it? Why would God listen to my prayer? Why would he come to me? Well, I'm not going to go to church and hear some encouragement. I'm going to open my Bible because, well, I don't understand it anyway. I'm not going to speak to anybody because they won't want to know. We come to Jesus. And so we're going to talk about worship and presence of God just for a minute again in the context of this. How can you come to Jesus and what hinders us coming to Jesus? Whether it's on a Sunday morning, whether it's in your, your own home or whatever. Coming to God, believing in Jesus, following God, trusting that there is a God in heaven, trusting that there's more to life than meets the eye, trusting that there's eternity, trusting that it's forever. And we're re heading towards Easter as well. Three weeks' time. It's early this year, isn't it? Easter's coming, and, and, and even now, I'm just wanting to start um, leading you to that thought process of the cross and celebrating it and embracing it and believing in it and trusting in it. And that's where we're going this morning. Um, the illustration for the Old Testament that helps us so many times, uh, the nation of Israel. Next slide, Robert. Thank you. The nation of Israel, we said a couple of weeks ago, was brought out of Egypt, if you know the stories at all, to come and worship God in the mountain. And God is about creating a community of worshipers, a nation of worshipers. He's still doing that today. The church is a place of worship, a gathering. We are a gathering, a community of people learning to worship God together and all that means and understands. And that's what God's purposes are on earth. And to help us out, we can look back at some of the mistakes 
that hinder us moving into God's presence and coming and checking into the debt clinic and coming to Jesus. And the first thing that the Israelites did after they said, yep, we'll worship God. Moses went up the mountain, left them for 40 days and 40 nights. Bought by the mountain, the people decide that when they saw Moses was taking so long, they gathered around here and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Doesn't take long. And that's so often the case. We suddenly, maybe we've become Christians or our parents are Christians and we, and we get excited, and, but the next day, like, it's gone. It's like, ugh, forget that. It can be hard. And, 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 and we start to worship. We don't think of worshiping other things, but just putting something else as a higher priority than God is worshiping him. And we don't probably melt down our gold rings and create a calf, but we do it in our minds. We create a different type of God. We say, God doesn't really care about that. We decide what God is and what isn't, what he does mind, what he doesn't mind. So we get away with whatever we want. We decide that it's okay because that's my God. And we create a false image of God and it's idolatry. Or we just put him to one side and we're we're worshiping our career, our family and, and other things. That's how it works for us. That's the translation here. The first commandment says, you should have no other God before me. But just as easily as we can say we're going to follow God and believe God. Sorry for picking you, you and Lara. I bet you're, I hope you're excited. I thought, yeah, God, you're in a mountaintop, I hope. But there's a valley coming again, isn't there? And it's so often the case that we just can't keep this level of confidence, of assurance, because the enemy comes with doubt. He did it before. Is he going to do it again? And that place, when our experience is not what God promises, There's a chasm between what we experience and what God promises, what we believe, that chasm. Or or it's even a difference between what we've experienced in the past and what we're experiencing now. That's where faith can rise. In that moment when doubt is there, actually faith can rise. So I think God allows us to come to a place of doubt so he can let faith grow in us. And he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, today he would have said an atom, a subatomic article, a particle. In those days, the smallest thing you can imagine was a mustard seed. If you have that amount of faith, that's enough for God to work. And he starts to water it and he starts to grow it. So doubt your doubts. Was that me? Okay. Doubt your doubts, not your faith. So what actually, can you find anything that you're in faith for at all at this moment? Can you actually believe? Yeah, I, I, I believe God is good. And I'm going to just take that and start there and let God water it. I, 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 whatever you've got is enough. Whatever you've got is enough, however big our doubts are. That little seed of faith is enough. Another catastrophe, next 
slide up, as well as idolatry. The next problem the Israelites face after they got all the laws and the commandments and the sacrifices and the priests and everything, and uh, they had great success and they overcame all their enemies and the, David was crowned king and it was just good days and then they started worshipping other gods, they started um, being unfaithful, they started hating one another, they started killing one another, they started being pretty much like we are today really, um, human and failure. And in Isaiah 1, Isaiah opens and comes with this message, the multitude of your sacrifices, Isaiah 1, what are they to me? says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fat animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. And I know the goats, I know this sounds crazy in these days, but you must understand that that's how they worshipped. So they may say to us, you come on your Sundays and you play your guitars and you read your Bibles and it means nothing to me because your heart is far from me. It means nothing to me because you're in sin. It means nothing to me because you're angry, you're you don't care about people, you're not compassionate. It means nothing. And so we can fake it when we come on a Sunday easily. I can fake it with the way I look and the way I dress and the way I speak on a Sunday. But if when I go home and give grief to my wife or my parents, if I'm miserable at work, if I'm a liar, if I'm a thief, how can we come and worship? And that's what God's talking about. If you're a hypocrite when we come to God, if we're flaunting it, if we're not believing it, if we're not honest, if, then we're not going to be able to come to God's presence and receive His healing and His love. Two catastrophes, hypocrisy and idolatry. They sound like big words, grand words, but they're real. And, and I hope you can catch that they're everyday challenges for every single one of us in different ways and different forms. Next slide then, Robert. So true worship. And I hope in this moment you just get a sense of brokenness, of impossibility, of frustration, of, oh my goodness, what can I do then? Because if you really knew what my heart was like, <laughs> you wouldn't even be giving me a moment of encouragement. We need somebody. We need a mediator. We need somebody to come and make that gap up between what we're like and what God needs us to be. We need somebody to fill that gap. We need somebody to come. And Jesus said to a woman that we've talked so many times about, but it's such a powerful moment, true worship. The woman at the well in John 4, believe me, Jesus said to the woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You, Samaritans, worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth, and we try and make sense of what that is, but truth is coming without hypocrisy, saying, this is who I am, O oh God. Here are my doubts. I cast them at your feet. Here are my failings. I give them to you. I come on my knees because it's the only way I can come to you. When I look at your goodness and your holiness, I, I, we can think 
niceness gets us to the kingdom of God. It does not. Jesus is the only way to the kingdom of God. We are completely and utterly separated from God because of our sins. We are no better than the Israelites in their hypocrisy and their idolatry. However much we manifest it, we need somebody to come in and rescue us and make the gap up. And he said, the woman said, like we should, I know that the Messiah is coming. I know he's coming. I know he's coming. I know he's coming. She knew. I don't know how, because she was a miserable wretch, adulterous, rejected by everybody. But she knew. And here it's coming. Jesus declared, I, I, the one speaking to you, I am he, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the only way we can come into the presence of God. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the way to spirit and truth. He is the rescuer. He's the mediator between us and God. He makes up the difference. C.S. Lewis puts it like this, may it be the real me who speaks, may it be the real you that I speak to. We need to come honestly before God. We need to understand who God is as much as we can through Scripture. We need to have that revelation. Worship is a response to the revelation of who God is, the real you coming before the real God, not the pretend you coming before the made-up God, the real you coming to the real God. And in that moment, in that place, he will give you assurance. There's many been things been spoken over the last few weeks from the pulpit, but a phrase Jimmy mentioned was blessed assurance. The next slide, Robert. Thank you. Blessed assurance. There's lots of things that there is and there isn't, but assurance is one of the things. And that gift, I love that thought, that word, that blessed assurance, and it can only be a gift. It can only come as we draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Can we maybe get that um, song ready, Robert, actually? I want to actually bring us into the doubt clinic this morning. I've got a, a, a remarkable song, uh, just Karen... Um, not Karen Joby. What's her name, Lana? Carrie Joby. Singing forever. And we're going to come into the presence. And I, w I want you to get ready for that moment because I want to respond. I want to just not talk about this. I want to actually let this happen this morning. I want us to come into the presence of God and to G through Jesus Christ, knowing that we're completely broken, but we want this assurance and we want to give you the confidence that it's not about you, it's not about me, about our condition of our hearts, because the condition of our heart, as we know, isn't sufficient. It's Jesus that allows us to come in, and we can come with a sincere heart. Don't hide anything. Don't pretend God doesn't know. He knows all our sins, all our thoughts. They're horrendous. But He forgives them. Bring, having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Let's just, let's just start to play it quietly in the background. Nathan, thanks. And faith is 
confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see and the promises given to Israel. Deuteronomy 9, before they cross the Jordan. You maybe got a Jordan to cross, whatever that means for you, what challenge, what mountain. Can we just start to pray just now, just start to focus on God? Just start to think about the cross. Just think about our hearts and, and, and um, don't miss this opportunity to come with complete honesty before your God. The cross is the way by which God redeems us. And that's a great image to have in your minds night loud. Think about a cross. Think about coming to the cross. Coming before him with Jesus there. Coming on our knees. We're coming to Easter. And don't let this be the only moment. Let's start this moment to grow in our hearts. The gift of assurance that comes from the cross. Think about the doubts that you're facing. Let the light shine into the deepest corners of your heart, your life. Open up to God. His resurrection victory is our gift to allow us to come into His presence. Gonna let this turn this up a bit. You, you want to come on your knees, or even come to the front if you want. Whatever you feel. There's a moment when somebody comes to speak. I really encourage you to engage with that moment when it comes in the video. Listen to what the words are being spoken, and receive the gift of assurance like never before. Let's turn this up then, Nathan. Thank you, Jesus. Let's really just focus on Jesus. Focus on the cross. Come on, God.